You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Some things that I've been really looking forward to getting into with you all, just about some vision and the mission of the church and things like that. And in the next couple of weeks, you're going to start to see some some signage and different things go on that you'll be able to clearly identify uh, all of these things that I'm getting ready to talk about. So you can take good notes. That's great. I always encourage that. But then you're also going to have things that are going to be uh, put up on the walls, and we're going to do some different things that'll make it really, really clear. The Bible says in Habakkuk, it says to make the vision down, make the vision down, write the vision down, make it plain, so that he who sees it may run with it. So I got a hold of this a few years ago. We got a hold of this a few years ago about making it very, very plain what we are after. And so I'm going to do that tonight, and and actually over the next six weeks. So tonight, in the following five weeks. I'm going to make it abundantly clear to you the direction that we are going, and it's going to be really awesome. It's going to be a blessing. You guys will be super blessed by it, and you'll be able to very clearly identify what it is that the Lord's doing in me and the direction that he's taking the church, and it's going to be super awesome. And so basically, we have a vision, we have a mission, and then we have core values. And the vision of the church is the reason why we exist. So the vision is why we exist. The mission is what we do while we exist. And then the core values are what determine the culture that we're operating in. And so when you go into any any business, you go into any church, you go into any home, there is a culture that's there in the home and the business and the church. And the culture is really basically what you experience. And so I was sitting at a minister's conference about, I don't know, four or five years ago, something like that, and I heard this guy talk about how you can have culture by design or by default. And, and he said, pastors, he said, if you don't want to go to your own church, then you need to change. And I thought, is he reading my mail? Because I was at a point where I was like, I don't even like showing up at my own church. That's true. That's not good, but it's the truth. So I decided I'm going to change some things. So we started to become very intentional about what we were after and what the Lord was saying he was after and wanted us to pursue. And when we did that, things really began to change and begin to turn and to move in the right direction. And so we're, we're excited because the Lord put that in our heart so then things that we would come afterward, we could run with those same type of things because it's just how we're wired. And God knew that we were going to be connected up. And whether you realize it or not, you're wired the exact same way. You're going to amen me by the end of the six weeks for sure. You're like, I don't want to be wired like you. Well, too bad. You're a part of me now. It's going to be awesome. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, if you don't smile at me, I will just work harder to make you laugh. And the jokes will get cornier. They will be worse. And it will be more uncomfortable for everybody. I am a very interactive preacher. I love smiling. I love amening. I love laughing and all that. Uh, but, uh, you know, anyways, whatever. So praise the Lord. This is going to be awesome. Amen. I love going on a journey with people. It's awesome to, to go with people and not just to go. You know, a lot of leaders, and I, I was one of these leaders at one point in my life, but a lot of leaders are going somewhere and nobody's following them. That's not really a leader. That's just a guy out for a walk. 
And I don't want to be a guy just out for a walk. I want to have people that are like, yes, sir, we're behind you. We're with you. We're supporting you. Amen. And so I believe that as we make things really clear, you guys are going to be able to do that. And I, I've said this, I think, every time that we ministered, and I want to say this before I really get into this. I want to say this. It's really, really imperative that you keep in mind something. It is impossible. It's impossible to grow without changing. If you are going to grow, you have to change. And human beings, we are, we are creatures of habit, and we just will continue in the same patterns over and over and over. And I found myself, even in this past week, Liz and I talking about some things, and I kept going back to the same way of thinking in a particular thing. And it's like, there I am, being a human being again. But we have to find those things that we keep going back into the same patterns that are keeping us held. And, you know, there's a certain, there's a certain element of routine that's fine. That's, that's it maybe even God-breathed. I mean, God's a, an orderly God, and we can do things in order. But, you know, the enemy will also work in the same thing and keep people in cycles. He's cyclical. I like that word. I like to find a place for it. He's cyclical, which means that he will keep people in cycles that bear no fruit, but because people are just so difficult to get them to change, they're just fine staying just right there. And I, I was there for a long time. And it's just like, we're just going to stay right here, and everything's fine and hunky-dory. But when you're talking about the kingdom of God, you're talking, about, you're talking about something that has to be advanced, that has to be moved forward. And what does it say? Something like the violent take it by force, I think is what it says. And so when you're talking about taking it by force and moving forward and having, you know, having growth and things like that, that's not staying in a cycle of the repetitive same stuff. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in here? You ever been in a pattern in your life to where it's like, oh, God, I don't want to be in this thing anymore? So then what we have to do is we have to begin to think differently and even before that be willing to think differently. Sometimes people are just so funny that, you know, you can be stuck in the same pattern, the same problem, the same issue, the same sin, no matter what it is, and instead of just changing, you just stay stuck in the, in the thing. And I, I've been there before. I'm not coming down on anybody. I'm only telling you stuff that I've done myself. But I have found that if we're willing to say, Lord, I'll lay it all down, I'll be, I'll, I'm willing to step out of what I've been doing so that I can step into what you have for me because I know what you have for me, the new wineskin, the new thing is going to bring me into bigger and greater and better levels of increase of growth in my life that's going to bring about change for me and my family and my church and my region and all of that stuff. Amen. So praise God, we're growing people. Everybody say, I'm a growing person. I am a grower by the grace of God. Hallelujah. So our vision for the church, which again is why we exist, is to build strong people and to build strong churches. Now, I meant to throw these things up on the slides, and I just totally, completely forgot about it. Please forgive me. I'm going to do that next week. I'm going to have that available so you can just see it. But our vision is building strong people, building strong churches. Actually, Pastor Donna, this was the thing that she came to Liz and I. This was one of the things that caused her in addition, I guess, with the Holy Ghost, basically, is to, to, she came to us and said, what does that mean? I'm curious, what does that mean? And so we explained, and she said, well, basically, that's kind of what I thought, and so can, you know, can we come under your covering, that kind of thing? And so God took this vision statement, and that's part of the reason that we're here, and so we're keeping it, amen? It's, we like it. It's here to stay. It brought us you guys, so we really, really like it, and, uh, but it's just something that God just lodged in me that we are here to build strong people and to build strong churches. And it's in that order in particular. 
because I don't think it's ever right or I don't think it's the healthiest thing to look at to just go and look at building a church without building the people. Because you can throw up buildings, you can start programs, you can do all kinds of things and leave the people in the dust. How many of y'all know that the people are the church? We are the church. And I believe in the days to come, that's going to be even more of an important revelation that the people are the church. Because the, what's going on in the world, it is, it's, it's messed up. And when you look at what's going on in other countries like Afghanistan and many other countries that have wild things going on, they don't even have a building. I ministered in Niger, Niger, maybe I mentioned this, but I think I did mention this here. I forget, I've ministered so many places that I just forget what I said where. But anyways, all these pastors, they, they, um, they torched their churches and they burned some of their homes down, the, the Muslim people. And I was there, not when it happened, but there, you know, a couple of years after and was hearing the stories and stuff. But the churches still remained. Why? Because it wasn't about a building. It was about the people that were together there to serve the Lord and love on one another. So the definition of church truly is the called out ones that are called out from the world, called together in one name under the name of Jesus that stick together no matter what. That's what the church is about. So building strong people comes first, and then building strong churches, which could speak a little bit more to the organizational side or to more local assemblies that would be God would have us influence. And so, praise God, it's, it's awesome. And so, you know, the, the, fruit, the fruit of what we've seen in ministry has been transformed lives. And I was just asking the Lord, and I know I've mentioned this a little bit, but I was asking the Lord, you know, a few weeks ago about just like, Lord, what are we doing? What is our ministry? And what, is it, what does it look like? And what's the fruit of it? Because, you know, when you, go, when you go for a long time in ministry and, you know, you want to see certain things. And sometimes you see some of those things, but then sometimes you don't see the things that you're really after. I know Pastor Donna knows exactly what I'm talking about. Like you start ministry and it's like you've got, I want to see this and this and this and these kind of things. And it's not that we should stop believing for those things, but sometimes ministry ends up looking different than what we thought it would, than we thought it was going to look like. And it doesn't mean we stop believing for things. It doesn't mean we stop pressing forward to what's right and what's true and what God's word says. But sometimes you just have to step back and go, God, what, what does your grace, what does it really look like? What's the fruit in my life, in my ministry? And for us, we can say that we have seen lives completely transformed. And we've seen lives transformed of people that didn't think that they needed a life that was to be transformed. Which I like that means. That means God's getting the tough ones. Because <laughs> some people don't think that their life needs to be transformed. I got news for you. Every person in here, you need your life to be transformed from this day forward all the way until the time that you die or Jesus returns. We're supposed to be in a mindset of transformation all of the time. And so for me, I've just gotten to the point to where I feel successful if I can get people to, to get in a, in a place of growth to where their life becomes transformed in their relationship with the Lord day by day by day, and they stay in that pattern, that's someone who's become a disciple. That's someone who's become someone who's growing and learning and all, all of that kind of stuff. I consider that to be sec successful and really building strong people and building strong churches. That's what that looks like. Praise God. So then our mission, what we do, I'm not getting very far very fast here. Then our mission, which is what we do, and I'm going to have all this up on the screen next week. Somebody don't let me forget that, um, is this. This is our mission statement. It's, again, it's what we do. It's leading people into a life surrendered to the Lord, clearly hearing his voice, choosing to follow him, and going into all the world. And every single bit of that 
is with complete intention. It's not, we didn't just throw out like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. And the biggest part of that is leading people. You know, it's one thing to stand and to teach and to preach and say, you need to do this. It's another thing to actually lead people. And what we're supposed to do is raise up leaders to raise up leaders to raise up leaders to raise up leaders to lead your homes, to lead your uh, life, to lead your wife, to lead your husband, to lead all of the people that need led in your life. That's what we're supposed to do is raise up people to be able to lead and not just say a bunch of stuff and not actually walk it out themselves. But it's leading people into a life surrendered to the Lord, clearly hearing his voice, choosing to follow him and going into all the world. So that's our, our mission statement. So I want to talk about core values. I'm going to give you the six core values, and I'm going to spend the next the rest of the time that we have talking about one in particular core value. And then the next five nights after this, we're going to talk about the other core values. And core values, this is extremely important. This is not, this is not actually what we believe. I mean, we do believe this. But it's not like, you know, a lot of times people get core values and like what we believe statement confused. And we've got a whole bunch of things like, like what we believe. Like, for example, we believe the word of God is final authority in all matters. Amen. We believe um, that God is identified in uh, three persons. And, you know, we call it the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe all of that kind of stuff. We could go into all those things we believe. And those are extremely important. But in particular, that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about are values that we walk by that determine the culture that we have. So when somebody comes into our church, as we continue to grow in these things together, when somebody comes in here, these are the things that they are going to experience basically intentionally on our part, but they, it becomes organic. And so here are, the, here are the six values, all right? It's love, faith, and I'm going to give declarations to all of these things as we go through each week. Love, faith, excellence, honor, hospitality, and unity. Love, faith, excellence, honor, hospitality, and unity. And again, these are things that become part of the culture. And so this is a little bit how this works. So what we want is we want these things to be part of just, of just who we are, part of how we respond to situations. So for example, as faith becomes part of our culture, and it already is here, but as it becomes stronger because we're even more intentional, when someone comes in and says, I don't feel good, or my grandma was just diagnosed with cancer, or so-and-so just got in an accident, instead of us responding like, well, what are we going to do? Or let's pray and see if God will want to do something maybe possible. We, no, we respond in faith. Why? Because we have a culture, an intentional culture of faith to where people would, and I'm just giving this as an example, would say, you know what? I know exactly what to do. We're going to believe God for change in that situation. We're going to declare his word, and we're going to believe God for his goodness to manifest in all of these areas of this particular area. That's what it looks like to where it's second nature. You don't even have to think about doing it. One of the things that I've um, seen, and actually I asked Pastor Donna this when, when we were first starting to get to know each other. I said, how would you describe this church? And I was so, I was so blessed to hear how she would describe this church because it was already a lot in a line with things that God had put in my heart that really lined up with these core values. And so this is actually already at work in here. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to pull it to the forefront, and we're going to be very intentional to move in this at even a greater level because everybody can stand to increase. Amen. 
So tonight, I want to talk to you about unity, and I'm going to throw out a lot of things pretty fast, but I want to talk to you about unity. And the reason I'm starting with unity is because the Holy Spirit told me to start with unity. <laughs> so actually, what I'm doing is I'm taking, on Sunday mornings, I'm taking the Perryville Church through the exact same thing, and I'm coming over here, and I'm doing this for six weeks in a row. I'm talking about, I'm talking about unity this morning over there, and I'm talking about it tonight. And the next week, I'll move on to a different core value, and it'll be the same one there as, as it is tonight. And so it's the first time I've done it because it's the first time I've ever pastored two churches. So uh, it's going to be great. Amen? And so I'm really excited to talk to you about unity. And, and there is, I believe that unity is, if I could say that there is a key to supernatural manifested glory in a group of people. I mean, some people would say prayer. Some people could say humility. Some people could say faith. You could say a lot of things. I personally believe. Um, some people could say honor, and I, to me that would probably be a close second. But I believe the number one key to supernatural manifested glory of God in our midst and what will empower us to shake the region around us and to shake our state and our nation and all of that. I mean, I just believe big. If you're going to believe for like, you know, let's believe for our neighbors around here. Well, let's just believe for the whole world. It sounds good to me. Let's just believe for the whole world. Amen. I've got four amens. Let's just believe for the whole world. Praise God. Thank you. Whew. Making me work up here. <laughs> so, but I believe that unity is, to me, probably the most important key because if unity is not there, then it leaves room for the devil. And where the enemy comes in and works, there's an absence of the glory of God. And I think everybody can just basically, basically understand that. But unity is something that doesn't come naturally. As a matter of fact, all of these core values we're going to talk about, none of them just come naturally. We have to actually persevere and be intentional about doing these things. This is why we lay these out so we begin to work towards these. But in, particu in particular, unity is something that we will have to endeavor to keep and the truth is, is that we already have a measure of unity that we're walking in or that we have. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start there in Ephesians chapter 4. I want to show you this here. This is uh, a really great uh, nugget here I'm going to give you about unity. In Ephesians chapter 4. Actually, I want you to hold your place in Ephesians chapter 4. I think I did this to you last week. And then I, I want you to go to Acts. So I'm going to get to, just, just in a second, talking about how it's something we have to pursue. But I want to, I want to show you this here in Acts. This is really, really good. Acts chapter 2, and in verse 1, we're all familiar with this. And I want you to see something, that there is a commanded blessing that is on unity. And when we really step into being unified, it will release, unlock, position us, posture us, for greater levels of blessing, I believe in our lives personally, but especially corporately as a church. It will just unlock and release things. And for the Perryville people that are, that are here, you can attest to this that absolutely we, we've experienced this. So this isn't just like theology. We're actually, you know, experiencing this. But that's what God says about this house too. Greater level of manifestation. And when we, we talk about greater, it's not that what has been hasn't been good or hasn't been of God. It's just that we're always supposed to be looking forward to what God has because he has more. You know, he, he's already given us everything, but at the same time, we can be honest, we're not experiencing everything. 
Is anybody experiencing all the fullness of God in every area of their life? Let me see a show of hands. No, nobody is. That means that we need to be before the Lord saying, Father, I want the most in all of what you have to offer me. I want to see all of that come to pass. But there should be something in us that when we come together, there's something special about the church. It's more special than anything else in the whole world. You know why? Because Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That promise is not given to any other group of people or any other institution on the face of the earth. It's only the church that has the power to come against and to win against the enemy at every turn. Only the church. But when you're talking about a church, you're not talking. He didn't say, I'll give each individual Christian. He said, I'll give the church, which automatically implies that there is a unity, there's something together, there's something formed together where they come together and they move together, they grow together, they learn together, and they have a unity that's there. You know what unity is not? Is Unity is not agreement. I shared this once already here, but I'm going to share it again, and you'll probably hear me share it like 700 more times because it's, it, when I got a hold of it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's going in, that's a feather in my cap that I'm going to pull out or in my tool belt or whatever, you know, something I'm going to pull out and use. But agreement, you know, when you look at Amos, it says that how can any two agree, excuse me, how can any two walk together unless they be agreed? And really that word agreed there is not the best English rendering of what that, whatever that Hebrew word is. It's not the best English rendering because we think like, you know, I think the music should be this loud and I think the music should be this loud. Well, I disagree. Well, you know, I'm out of here. Well, we can't, there's no way we can walk together because we can't agree on the level of the music or whatever you want to put in there. You know, I think the building should be black and I think, I don't know who painted black, whatever, gray, I think it should be brown or I think this, that, or the other. And so if that's our mentality about like you can't walk together unless you agree on everything, then nobody would ever walk together for anything. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about, it's saying, how can any two walk together unless they be in covenant? It goes beyond just the level of agreement. And I did, I shared this before, and I talked about how Liz and I are, we're in covenant. Ron and I are in covenant. And, you know, our two families, especially, we're in covenant with each other. And there's not anything, and there's things that we don't agree on. There's things that have come against us. There's things that have come against our, tried to come against our relationship. But we've been able to withstand the test of time. You know why? Because it's not about whether we agree on everything or not. It's about whether we're really in covenant with each other. Because covenant people don't break when the wind comes against them. Covenant people don't up and run. Oh, come on now. I'm getting in somebody's business here. Covenant people don't go and run at the first sign of trouble. They figure out what they need to do to fix the problem because they value the person enough. They value the relationship enough. They value the covenant enough to stick with it, to work through it, to make it happen, to make it work because on the other side of it is a beautiful thing that God's got this commanded blessing because you work through it, you work through the problem, you proved your faithfulness in the covenant, in the relationship, and now you're, you're, you've stepped into this beautiful thing that God has. That's what covenant looks like. That's how God is towards us. Sometimes we are, so, and listen, there's relationships. You know, Liz and I taught this class, and we talk about parasites. I mean, sometimes you have people in your life that are parasites. They're sucking the life out of you. You need to cut those people out. But there's also people that God has put in your life to invest goodness, blessing, favor, and you to them. 
And so when you've identified those relationships, you don't just, you don't just up and run willy-nilly. You hang on to that thing and you do whatever it takes to work through it. Till death do you part. Because that's how God is towards us. But sometimes, and this is just in, this is just in the American Oh, Jesus, y'all don't know me well enough for me to go here, but I'm just going to go here anyways. And for me to say that makes it a little bit lighter since I go there. And then you're like, oh, it's okay, just go there. And then I go there, and you're like, well, that was kind of rough, but it's okay. <laughs> In the American culture, and I'll, I'll say this, Jesus, can I say that? Yeah, I could say that. In this corridor over here, I'm not saying with anybody in this room, but in this corridor over here, we were here, we know people here, and we saw, and it's, but it's really all over, it's kind of like a cut and run mentality with some people, not everybody, but we've seen those kind of cycles with different things, and, and that's just not how we're wired. It's like if God's called you somewhere, be there. Step up to the plate. Give into your family. Bless your family. Support your family. Do everything that's necessary to see them move forward in the fullest measure of what God has for them. And so we've seen this over the years to where it's like, and there can be different reasons, past hurt, you know, I just, you know, all kinds of stuff. People have fractures in their souls. They've got lots of things going on, and, you know, they just, they don't know how to deal with, um, with any kind of uh, back and forth, what do you call that, when, confrontation, thank you. They don't know how to deal with any kind of confrontation. They don't know what positive confrontation looks like because they've never experienced it. It's always been negative. So they've got these reasons. But in the days to come, we cannot afford to succumb or to come under that death cycle of Satan any longer. And we have to realize that the enemy is the one that would tell us, oh, watch out. You're going to get hurt here. You need to run and run down the road to run to some other place so you don't get hurt. Because the reality is, is that when you are with people, hurt will come. Hurt will come. But the deal is, is that you and I have the privilege because of the God on the inside of us, the God of love on the inside of us, we can choose whether we're going to stay hurt or not. I can't help for offense to come. Sometimes people offend me. Oftentimes I offend other people. <laughs> but I have learned that I have total control as to whether I'm going to stay offended at that person or not. So because of that, I don't have any reason to be afraid. I'm not afraid of people offending me or hurting me anymore. It's no problem. As soon as I do, I just say, you know what, Jesus? It's washed in the blood. It's no problem. It probably wasn't intentional, but even if it was... Big deal. You love me. You care for me. And we can be so quick as human beings. Again, I have a lot of compassion and empathy because people have gone through a lot of hurt, a lot of hurt in the church, a lot of hurt, a lot of wrongdoing. So I have lots of empathy, but we got to break that stuff off. We just got to shake that stuff off, recognize where it comes from and shake it off and realize that God doesn't give up on us, not even for a second and we cannot be of the mentality that we're going to give up on our people, that we're going to give up on our church family. Hallelujah. This would be an easier message with like a thousand people in the room. Because <laughs> you could be like, well, do you, did you hear that comment? I'm just, I'm just, I wasn't even going to say any of this stuff. The Lord's just on me to say it. And I know it's right. I know it's of God. I know it's the right time. I know it's right to say it. Because moving forward, we have to have a foundation of we are together in covenant unity. And we're not going to let anything break us apart.
Liz and I, we have been through some hellacious stuff in our marriage, most of it coming from circumstances and not through each other. Although, you know, when we were first married, I was a jerk and she was, she was awesome. She was awesome. But she cried a lot and was very emotional. It's because I was a jerk. Yeah, whatever. So anyways, why did I bring that up? But when, when we came into covenant with each other, and we said our I do's, it was not till problem gets too annoying and we're afraid to be hurt anymore, and then we're going to cut and run and go find somebody else to be with. It's, it's literally the way that the devil has wired people. It's like spiritual adultery in the church. Come in. Oh, I'm with you. We love, this is our church. We're here. We are here. We love you. We, this is both you. We've just been praying for you. One message that you don't like could be this message. I don't know. But <laughs> one, I'm just kidding. I'm just, but maybe one message that somebody doesn't like or just one thing that they don't, just, just doesn't go their way. And, you know, mistakes happen and, you know, whatever. And next thing you know, they cut and run. It's like, wait a second. Did your words not mean anything? Because when I say that I'm with somebody, my words are binding. God's words are binding. He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I mean, with that being said, we understand things happen. Transition happen. You know, people, stuff happen. People move. You know, all that. There's grace for that, all right? I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about this thing of like, this didn't work out and I'm out of here. That kind of stuff, that's not the culture of this church. That's not us. We're family. We're family. We're covenant people. We're covenant family. Hallelujah. Look here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, I don't have to tell you what came after this, but they were all in one accord and in one place. And of course, as the story goes, heaven came down and changed everything and the whole, changed the whole course of the world. And every single thing that's in the Bible is there for a reason. There's not one word that is there by mistake. The Holy Spirit breathed every single word that's on these pages in this highest, greatest book that there is no comparison to. Every word is there. And there is a reason why he said they were all with one accord in one place. And if that wasn't important, it just would have said when the day of Pentecost had fully come, then they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit and so on and so forth. But it says they were all in one accord. That meant that they were all unified together in one mind, in one thinking, with one understanding, pursuing one thing, which of course was the kingdom of God, which of course was the resurrection of Jesus, which of course was the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the thing that they were after. And because of that, there was blessing on that unity. Flip over to Acts, the same chapter, chapter, and in verse 40, let's look at verse 40. And it says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. I want you to notice what it says. It says, and they continued steadfastly. They, that they implies together. 
the whole of them, all of them, together. They continued steadfastly. Then fear came upon every soul. And this is talking about reverential fear, not like, oh, my God, I'm afraid. This is reverential fear. Fear. And I'm going to tell you something now. There needs to come a level of reverential fear in the body of Christ for the Lord. It needs to return. Not a fear of God's going to strike me down because of something that I did wrong, but an, an awe and a wonder of who he really is. Sometimes people, people are too cavalier in the presence of God. It says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, <laughs> they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Notice it says they continued daily with one accord. A lot of times people can be in a church and they've, they've, they continue uh, Sundayly for two hours or however long you're at church. You put on the church face and the rest of the time, it's like, and I know that nobody's experienced this in here. I know it's only me, so I'm just telling you my horror story, that I've been around people that actually backbite and talk and things like that. I know that's never happened to anybody in here. So I'm just, come on now, we've all experienced this before, right? And so, you know, there's all of this, this stuff that goes on, but they continued steadfastly every day being in one accord. Now, let me tell you something here. Being in one accord does not mean that you don't have to work through things. Sometimes that, she is a firecracker. Firecracker is not the right word, but she's a truth teller. Is that better? Sorry. I don't, I don't wear firecracker. Dynamite comes in small packages. That's what I was thinking. I said firecracker because firecrackers are smaller than dynamite. It make no, no sense. Throw all that out. Don't even think about any of that. But anyways, she is a truth teller. And do you know, because of our covenant, because of mine and her covenant, sometimes she will look at me and she, say, she will say, you are dead wrong. And if you continue, you're just going to be dead. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Not really. But that's what covenant relationships look like, is to where when people are properly uh, in order, lovingly submitted to one another, they can, they can have that, that kind of stuff. Amen. And it's actually really good because then growth comes. That's a good thing. Hallelujah. But this has to be pursued. This is something that must be pursued. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And let me show you this. It's really, really good. It's something that must be pursued, but it's also something, really the pursuit is keeping what we already have. We just have to recognize what we do have. And in verse 1 of Ephesians 4, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. So this is a strong and pouring. So this would be like if I was writing a letter to you, I wouldn't say beseech. I would, I would say, church, with everything I have in you, I'm asking you to listen to me and to do what it is that I'm telling you to do. That's the language he's saying here. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep, everybody say keep, keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now it's impossible to keep something that you don't already have. If you jump down, and we're going to come right back to this, but if you jump down to verse 13, it says till we all 
come to the unity of the faith. There is a unity of the spirit and there is a unity of the faith. Here's the difference. A unity of the faith has to do with everything that we believe doctrinally. The unity of the spirit is something that we come into when we step into relationship with Christ. It's when we step into saying, Jesus, I make you Lord, and we become a part of the church. We are now born again, baptized, and become a part and are one with the rest of the church. That's the unity of the Spirit. Do we agree on everything at that point? No, we don't agree on everything at that point. And in fact, I don't think we really ever come to the unity of the faith fully, but it's something that we work towards. And the longer you are with people, the better you and the closer you actually become into alignment with the things that you believe. But the unity of the Spirit is not about what you believe. Other than putting faith in Christ, it's not about all of the doctrinal things. There have been more churches split over doctrinal things when God was trying to do an incredible work. People, I mean, people will be called by God, but then they'll hear something. And listen, there's, there's stuff that's really heinous. There's some really messed up doctrine out there. And you got to run from that stuff. And you're ultimately, your source is not me. It's the word of God. You got to get into the word and you have to see what the word says for yourself. I will never tell you that I'm your source. I would never want that kind of responsibility. The word of God is your source. Amen. So there's a lot of stuff that you have to watch out for. But it's not about believing every little thing together. But it's about having a general, you're in Christ, I'm in Christ. You've been baptized. I've been baptized. We both were in need. We both came in, got saved, and here we are together. Let's do this thing together. Let's endeavor. Let's work to keep the unity. Because it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is, but, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You know, if you just keep a mentality of like, you know what? The people around me, they really need to grow. They really need to change, but so do I. I need to grow, I need to change, I need to have the life of Christ manifest in me in greater measure, so I'm gonna have mercy on myself, but I'm also gonna have mercy on them. I'm gonna have mercy on them to grow and to change, and all of their faults, because I value the relationship and the unity that I have with them more than whether I or they are right or wrong, that actually is secondary at best. What's most important is that we are in unity. Hallelujah. Let me show you two more verses, and then we're going to take communion together tonight in a very special way. I want to show you two more verses. And Kingston, I want you to come up and just um, pick on the guitar if you want to go ahead and just get ready and do that. Let's go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Y'all getting something out of this? Praise God. Man, I love talking about this. Listen to this verse. This is so powerful. John 17, and we're going to go to verse 20, and I'm going to read just a few verses here. John 17 and verse 20, and it says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. So this is talking about the, the people that will believe, so the people that will become believers and ultimately disciples, that they all may be one. Who? The believers, the disciples. That they all may be one as you, Father, and this is Jesus praying, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You know what this tells me? 
The level of our oneness will make a difference on the world believing in Jesus. If you don't think unity is important to God, read that about five times over and you'll, or 500 times over and you'll be convinced differently. But look into this next verse. It says, in the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. You know what's interesting about this prayer is he was praying something and I, and I believe that when, when we're praying to God, we're essentially saying, Lord, we need your intervention. We need your help. We need your encouragement. We need your strength. And I wouldn't pull that out from this, but to me, this is, this is one prayer that Jesus prayed that we are actually responsible to fulfill. I wouldn't say it's outside of God's help. We need God's help in everything that we do. So it could just be God to help. But we're the ones who have to endeavor to determine that we are going to walk in covenant unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus was praying that they, speaking of us, because he was talking about people that would believe. And we are in that group of people that now we did believe, but he was looking forward to us. He prayed that we would be one, just as he and the Father were one. What a prayer. What a thing to say. The decision's ours. We're the ones that have to make that decision to say, you know what? I'm going to give up my right to be right. I'm going to lay down all the hurts. I'm going to lay down the offenses. I'm going to lay down any and everything, whatever could possibly be in the way. Nothing is higher or more important in terms of my relationship with my church folk, with my people, with my tribe. Nothing is more important than walking in unity with them. Because honestly, if we can just get over ourselves, I mean, let's be honest here. If we can just get over ourselves, the commanded blessing that's on the unity is better than if we were totally right. Think about this. If we were so right and we could get everybody around us to see their wrong and our right, our highest level of right could never even could never even come close to compare to the glory of God that can be and will be manifested among us as we are in a high level of unity together. Let me show you one more verse here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And then we're going to receive communion and we're going to, again, do it in a special, a special way tonight. I did it this morning and it was the first time I'd ever ever done it. God just downloaded this to me in prayer about a week ago. And so we're going to do that here. But I want to read one more verse. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And he's talking about communion here. And, you know, back in the day, and, you know, we've got like the, the wafer and the grape juice or whatever we're doing here exactly, you know, that's good. And, and I'm for that. I'm not against that at all. It's fine. But when you look at how they took communion back in the Bible, it was really more around a meal. And what they would did, what they did is that their conversation was really just about Jesus. It was about him. It was about the kingdom. It was about the Father. It was about all of those things. And he's because that's what they were doing here at the, the Last Supper, right? It wasn't the, the last uh, uh, cracker and wine festival or whatever. It was the Last Supper. They were eating together. So all that aside... He took and he said, and he broke, and he said, "When every time you do this, do what? I believe every time you eat, but every time you eat together, do it in remembrance of me. And Paul brings this back up here to the Corinthians, and in context, he actually brings a rebuke to them 
Because what they would do back in, in that day, we don't experience it quite as much here. It could be true here, but probably other parts of the world, but definitely during this time in this part of the world, they'd have very wealthy people and they'd have very poor people. And because they were saved, they would they would come together and they would they would fellowship. They would have a meal. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' um, doctrine and breaking of bread and all of that stuff. So they would eat together. And what would happen is that the people that had all the food, they would come in and they would bring their food in and they would make sure their bellies got full. But the people that didn't have anything, they weren't concerned about them. And there's probably more behind all of that than what I understand. But you can read that and basically come to that understanding from this text right here. So he's, reading to, he's writing to people saying the very essence of the reason why the body was broken and why the blood was shed, you have lost the meaning in the way that you're treating one another. You're treating other people who were washed in the same blood as you. You're treating them as lesser and not realizing that you were in the same dire need for his grace and his mercy just like they are. And I would go so far as to say, and even to me or to anybody, how dare us ever look lesser on anybody and treat anybody and operate in any kind of offense for any reason, for any time period, when Jesus has forgiven us of every single wrong thing that we have ever done towards him. And so look at this here. He said in verse 23, I want to read this one verse. It says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And then he broke it. And of course, they had communion together. On the same night, he was betrayed. Do you know, if you read the Bible, he knew who Judas was. And he, he knew who Judas really was. Obviously, he, he knew Judas and he was carrying the money and all that. But he knew who Judas really was. And you know that he also knew who Peter was? He knew that Judas was rotten to the core, and that's Ken's interpretation. And he also knew Peter had no backbone, and when it came down to it, really wouldn't stand up and say, yes, I know that man that everybody hates. I know him. He's my friend, and I love him. He knew that Peter had no backbone because he said, you're going to deny me three times. And on that same night that one of his closest companions, Peter, I would say his closest companion next to John went and denied him. Denied he even knew him. My God. Imagine the closest person in your life. If you knew, if you knew they were going to deny you. I mean, just imagine. Sometimes we have to step out of like just reading it and be like, oh God, what would that really be like? Your closest companion or one of your closest, you knew that they were going to deny you, deny even knowing you. I don't know that person for whatever reason. I don't know who they are. I don't want to have anything to do with them or whatever. And yet you would go so far as to symbolize breaking your body and shedding your blood for them because you loved them that much and you valued that covenant that much. And then you look at the other guy, Judas. He knew. He knew what he was going to do. And if you read in John chapter 13, he got down and he washed all of their feet. He washed all of their feet knowing that Judas was getting ready to turn him over for 30 pieces of silver or whatever it was. 
That's incredible. Here's my point, is that unity and offense can not coincide. They literally cannot coincide. I have sat across, and we're going to go just a little bit longer because we worship just a little bit longer, and I want to give the kids a little bit longer and us a little bit longer. Is everybody okay with that? Good, because I'm going to do it whether you're okay with it or not anyways. I have sat across the counseling table, the whatever, with many of people coming back to this one thing right here. Will you drop the offense? And they, they won't call it offense. Well, I was hurt. I'm wounded. I have blah, 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 blah going on. Okay, you have offense in your heart. You have offense. You might be justified or think you're justified, but nobody's more justified than Jesus. Come on, nobody is more justified than Jesus. And he laid down his right to be offended for the sake of covenant, for the sake of unity with us. And I've sat across the table with many people like that who just refuse to bend and break. And I'm gonna say something really, really, really strong here. And this is like week number three. And this is really, really strong, but I'm just gonna say it because I value this more than anything else in the world. I've had people, we've had people walk out of our church losing thousands of dollars monthly, thousands, because I will not move from this principle. Anybody that makes a decision, and I'm not saying this for any reason other than I'm just making a, a statement that I believe is actually right scripturally. But I just come to this place that if anybody for any reason refuses to not walk in love and in unity, just they just refuse to do it, I will, I will bend over backwards to try to get you healed up, to try and get you to the place where you can walk in unity. But ultimately, even if it means thousands of dollars walking out the door to my witness, we've seen that happen on more than one occasion, at least a couple of occasions. I just tell people, there's the door. You can take all of your nastiness outside. All of your nastiness can go outside because it does not belong in here. And you know what I found? The people that want to hang on to their bitterness get angry at that. And it's like, oh, there you are. But all the rest of the people are like, thank you, pastor. We're so tired of that. We don't want to deal with that stuff anymore. We want unity. Because basically, most every human being wants to be unified with other people. They just need to hear something like this that says, come on, let's do it. And let's move together. And let's not give in to any kind of fleshly whatever stuff. And let's really genuinely love people and put them before us. Let's literally get the mind of Christ concerning our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Let's literally do it and push the devil out at every turn. And it, it's awesome when that happens. It is awesome. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.